Welcome to the God Science Podcast. I'm your host, Colleen MacDonald. Ever wish your community could be energy independent? We've got an interesting project to tell you about on today's podcast. When I think about the shift to renewable energy that we desperately need in the U.S., I tend to think either really small, like solar panels on one person's rooftop, or really big, like federal energy policies that will help transition us all to clean power. At UCS, we often discuss the roles scientists and policymakers have in shaping the United States' renewable energy goals. While these recommendations and policies are key in driving effective change, along with the smaller steps individuals can take, there are other pathways to sustainable energy that hadn't occurred to me until recently. For example, what does it look like when a city or town takes charge of its potential to generate energy and uses it to build a sustainable future? Can residents sharing a community also own and share in its power? Though this works as a metaphor, I mean literal power, how you turn your lights on. Solidarity, a nonprofit based in Highland Park, Michigan, is trying to answer these questions. For years, they've been working for energy democracy, the idea that decisions about energy use should be made by those most affected by current policies and decisions. Over this summer and fall, the Union of Concerned Scientists teamed up with Solidarity to provide data and modeling to support their goal of achieving 100% clean and affordable energy owned by Highland Park community members. Gracie Wooten, an energy justice advocate from Solidarity and a longtime Highland Park local, joined me to explain how Highland Park can be a global example of energy democracy. Along with energy analyst James Gignac from the Union of Concerned Scientists, we discussed new research and opportunities the two groups uncovered together. Gracie, James, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Thank you very much. So your organizations, Solidarity and the Union of Concerned Scientists, teamed up to work on an exciting clean energy project that used data to show how a community could achieve 100% of its energy demand with a combination of locally owned clean energy resources like energy efficiency and solar power. So Gracie, let's start with you. Tell me about your community, Highland Park, Michigan. Thank you very much. I love talking about Highland Park. Highland Park is an old, very old city, pretty much established by Henry Ford. It's home to the first uh, automated assembly line, home to probably one of the first water systems that was built outside of Detroit. There are a lot of innovations that happened in Highland Park, but right now we're in a deindustrialized city and our infrastructure is crumbling. Uh, we have a lot of poverty. In fact, Highland Park is rated at the 92nd percent for environmental injustice. Our population below poverty is around 46% at the height of 
the population in Highland Park, it was about 50,000, I would say, in the 70s. But right now, we're actually down in population to around 9,000. Wow, that's quite a decline. Yeah, it is. And the uh, infrastructure and the poverty rate has a lot to do with the burden that's put on the rest of us who are in the community. So we have um, probably around 2011, there was a settlement to forgive us $14 million because we could not afford to pay for our electricity. So DTE, our supplier, took the lights, took the poles. So that meant that, you know, they had no intentions of bringing the lights back. It was a total uh, repossession. And our backs were against the wall. When you think about it, I mean, it's like, you know, being offered a plea deal and, and you see no other way out. So it wasn't something that the city wanted to do, but um, you face no other choice. So the neighborhoods have been in the dark. Literally in the dark. In the dark. I've never heard of that being done before. I think you're right. By taking those polls out, it seems that they had no intention of trying to work with the community to get the lights back on. We had absolutely no input. It was done by a uh, city administrator. The city residents, we didn't even know about it. DTE did not even talk to the residents about this. I mean, is that how Solidarity came into being? Yes, it is. Solidarity actually tried to negotiate with the city to have solar lights installed, but that negotiation didn't work out. But, you know, we're interested in clean energy. We're interested in power without pollution. We're interested and not harming the environment any further. We have so much uh, industrial waste left over from the auto industry, and the soil is polluted. The housing stock is very old, so that means that we have lead lines. We're under a EPA mandate to replace all of the water mains and, of course, the uh, lead service lines. We were forced to connect with Detroit water system because the governor refused to give us a part that we needed to fix our water plant. It's uh, caused a lot of problems because the connections really didn't work. So we have a lot of water leakage, a lot of water main breaks in the wintertime. So it sounds like you've got multiple health issues really in the town. What does your vision for a community-based clean energy future, what are you planning? A clean energy future for us, as I was saying, not only means, you know, doing no further harm to our environment. What it means is that we can have a 100% clean energy. DTE, when they took the, the lights from the community, they didn't explore any kind of alternatives. 
which they could have. And DTE has not been reliable. I listened in just last week on a a TV debate in the Senate about two bills that people want. The um, Michigan Public Service Commission to adopt rules that would allow us to have community solar. And DTE and the other service provider in Michigan, Consumers Power, they kept saying how reliable they were. And we didn't need community solar because they were affordable as well as reliable. But in Highland Park, that hasn't been the story. In Highland Park, DTE actually has a transmission center where they run power not only to power Highland Park, also they run power for four other cities. Yet we are always losing power. You have infrastructure that's not being taken care of, and then you have rates that continue to go up. Highland Parkers are spending between 18 and 33% of our income, which is just on, on uh, electricity utilities, which is not affordable. It's said that 6% is affordable. So you think about a population that has about 46% of the people living below the poverty level, but spending an enormous amount of money on utilities. It's just not sustainable for our city. So we have a vision for something different. We don't want to, like I said, go back to an old way when we can see power without pollution and we can be a leader in terms of showing other cities what's possible. And are you, is this plan primarily based on bringing in solar? Not only solar, but we know that in order to actually be 100% clean energy and our housing stock being older, you know, like my house is uh, 100 years old. I know that what we said is that we know that we have to combine other things in addition to solar to uh, help us become 100% clean. So that means that we have to rely on, you know, have our homes retrofitted. They need to be energy efficient. And James could probably speak to this more. But this particular study, what it showed is that with some changes in the state of Michigan's policies, what we can have is not only solar but with energy efficiency, it could uh, increase the amount of homes that can actually uh, have a solar on their rooftops. Right. Well, let me toss it over to James. So before we dig into the science, how did you become involved with Solidarity? Well, back in 2019, we at the Union of Concerned Scientists did a local clean energy project with the community of East Boston, Massachusetts. And that was a successful 
project and we wanted to work with other local communities interested in clean energy. And around that same time, a member of Solidarity was serving on a advisory board for another one of our projects called Low Carbon Pathways. And so we were able to make the connection of how UCS analysis could help Solidarity provide some additional data and research to show how Solidarity's vision of a 100% locally owned clean energy is possible and achievable and show one way how it could be done. We'll be back in a minute with the second half of our interview. Got Science is brought to you by the Union of Concerned Scientists. More at gotsciencepodcast.org. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, PRX, and all the usual podcast outlets. For a transcript, a full bio of our guest, and more resources, head over to gotsciencepodcast.org. Want to make sure you don't miss an episode of the podcast? The easiest way to do that is to subscribe. It's free and easy. Just click on the subscribe button in your favorite podcast app. If you're enjoying Got Science, another podcast you might like is called The Change, Women, Technology, and the Anthropocene. The Change was produced by the Climate Change Project, a first-of-its-kind independent publication designed for a digitally educated, climate-anxious world. The Change interviews women who bridge the gap between climate tech and its potential and climate breakdown, spotlighting the very determined and dignified boundary women developing, financing, and procuring climate tech in the Anthropocene. Available wherever you get your podcasts. Now let's get back to our interview. How did you decide exactly what you were going to look at? Yeah, we we started our analysis by identifying uh, what the average annual electricity demand is for the residential and commercial sectors in Highland Park. And that figure is 86,200 megawatt hours per year. And so what we started with is identifying the types of resources that could fulfill that demand. And one of the things that is um, important to Solidarity and to Highland Park is to not use too much land for energy generation because as Gracie was saying there's you know multiple challenges in the community and uh, we wanted to preserve as much land as possible for other uses like urban agriculture recreation and and so forth so what we started with was energy efficiency and rooftop solar so with energy efficiency we're improving the existing buildings to use less power also to be healthier and more comfortable for residents and we identified that up to 25 percent of the community's energy demand could be achieved through efficiency And from there, rooftop solar, again, it's not using extra land. It's using the existing built urban environment to generate power. And it it also directly benefits homeowners and business owners who install the solar. We used a software model called HOMER, and that stands for Hybrid Optimization of Multiple Energy Resources. 
what Homer does is it analyzes hundreds of different configurations of solar and batteries for different building types and provides the cost and performance data for that. So we did two scenarios. We did a reference scenario using current policies and programs. And then we did a policy scenario, which has better solar policies, better uh, compensation to customers. And what we found was pretty striking between the two scenarios. And under current policies, the payback period for solar is pretty long. For the sample home we tested, it was 15 years to pay back the investment from that solar versus our policy scenario with improved compensation policies, the payback period it gets progressively lower and as low as two years to pay back that investment. So with better policies, it's much more attractive for property owners to install solar. And in our policy scenario, we also uh, assumed that more homes would be upgraded through energy efficiency to install solar, and that allowed us to um, reach 30% of rooftop solar contributing to the overall goal versus the under current policies, we were at 13%. So we were able to show just how big of a difference better solar policies can make for communities like Highland Park that want to reach 100% locally owned clean energy. So do you essentially then have a blueprint more or less to work from? This is one blueprint for how Highland Park specifically could pursue 100% clean energy. Um, one thing that's important to note is that it could look different for other communities. You know, it depends on, again, what the preferences are of the community members and what technologies they are most interested in. And then also things like what types of buildings are in the community, what the solar production is. So the approach and the methodology that we used in this analysis is applicable to other communities across the country, but the exact mix of resources that they might come up with could look different from this. Right. And I think you really hit on a really key element here, which is talking to the community to find out what their priorities are. Right. And as, as Gracie spoke to, Highland Park is uh, post-industrial and there is quite a bit of vacant land. And so one temptation might be, well, let's just cover all of that with solar. But identifying other resources that can preserve options for future use of that land, including re redevelopment, you know, new businesses, that was important to, to the community. And I'd like to add one thing. Before we started talking with the Union of Concerned Scientists, there had been some energy work going on in the community. There are actually two solar villages. There are two locations that have been trying to become totally energy efficient. Parker Village and Avalon Village both have a lot of new technology. So the fact that we were already interested in energy democracy, really, which meant that, you know, Union of Concerned Scientists has the same values as uh, solidarity. So what needs to happen in terms of connecting the rooftop solar to the grid? 
I'm assuming you have to connect it into the existing grid and you're not creating like a microgrid. Right. For this analysis, we did not model Highland Park as being a microgrid or being separated from the larger electric grid. So Highland Park, although it would be generating power locally, it would still be sharing that with neighboring communities. The utility would still own the the poles and the wires. What this analysis is about is empowering communities to be able to choose how their power is generated. And our policy recommendations in the analysis are focused on leveraging newer technologies that have come about in recent years to be much more cost-effective, like solar, like energy efficiency. And that also has a significant benefit of keeping more of the community's wealth circulating locally rather than extracting it out to pay the power company for large, faraway power plants. Another thing is that since we have a lot of renters in Highland Park, I think it's up to about maybe 60% of Highland Park is actually uh, renting. A lot of people lost their homes based on the water crisis that we had in Highland Park. And then they started renting their own homes, you know, which is just a crime too against the community. With changes in policy, renters would be able to actually take part in having community solar because they could do it virtually. Plus people like me who are waiting, you know, I I would need to do a lot of energy efficiency before I could add solar. I could take advantage of participating in a community garden virtually while my energy efficient improvements going on you know, before I could actually have rooftop solar in an economical way. So, you know, it's really important. The changes that we need our state to adopt, they're important so that people who are lower income can actually take advantage of solar and clean energy. How quickly can you get policies in place, or how difficult is it to do that? There's a couple significant categories of policies that we analyzed in our Let Communities Choose report. And one of the biggest categories is that Michigan is, and several other states across the country as well, currently allowing the electric utilities to restrict or limit the ability of customers to own solar, either on their rooftop or, as Gracie was saying, through subscribing to larger community solar projects. So in our policy scenario that we analyzed using the Homer model, we showed how requiring utilities to allow customers to use the full amount of their rooftops for solar power and then to uh, subscribe to local community solar projects is really what's needed to help unlock the the potential for a vision such as 100% local clean energy. And the other significant category, the second I would say, is increasing access to lower cost financing. So while all of the technologies that, that we look at in this analysis pay for themselves 
over time. There's still a lot of upfront investment to pay for the equipment or to pay the, the workers to do the installations or the efficiency upgrades. And we know that's going to require some significant investment. And we need to increase the accessibility and availability of lower cost financing. So there's a couple examples of that. One is the Michigan Green Bank, which is a public-private partnership specifically to make loans and investments in clean energy. And they're able to do that at a lower cost. And another example of lower cost financing is what's called on-bill financing. And that's where a utility, or it could be the city of Highland Park, finances efficiency and solar projects. And then the customers pay back that investment through their energy bills or, or water bills, depending on the arrangement, while still saving money overall. So lower cost financing is a key part of making a vision like this affordable. What would you like to see in the next couple of years or give me your your hopes for the next few years? The state of Michigan, the legislature is considering a, a couple of policy changes that would make a, a big difference in things that we talk about in our Let Communities Choose analysis. One is requiring utilities to offer the community solar subscriptions to customers and also lifting or eliminating the current cap on the amount of distributed generation or customer-owned solar. So those are two policies that are under consideration now. And if changes were put into place, that would be a big step toward enabling communities like Highland Park to pursue greater amounts of local clean energy. And then at the local level, we also discuss in our report things that local governments can and should also be doing to help communities achieve clean energy vision. And so the city of Highland Park could do things such as enacting a comprehensive solar ordinance to help provide clarity on how the um, solar resources could be built in, in the community and also establishing an overall goal of 100% and creating benchmarks along the way toward achieving that overall goal. So those are a couple examples, both at the state and, and local level, of policy changes that could be pursued quickly and help put us on the path toward achieving a vision like this. And Gracie, do you want to talk about the work that Solidarity and others have been doing and will continue to do? Yes. So since we've been so active in Highland Park around solar and around sustainability, our city council at the last council meeting, they passed a resolution to research. They want us as citizens to do the research and actually see if it would be feasible for the city to own the utility, to have a municipal utility and break away from DTE. And I said, well, that's a, that's really a step forward, <laughs> you know, that the city, they know that DTE has been so unreliable and they've mistreated us so badly 
that they are actually considering the possibility for something else. You're shaking things up there. (laughs) Makes me feel good. (laughs) I mean, you've done so much work already. There's a lot left to do, but um, this is a really exciting project. And I, I look forward to seeing how it unfolds. Gracie and James, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate you. Well, that's it for this episode of the Got Science Podcast. Special thanks to Gracie Wooten and James Gignac. Editing by Omari Spears. Additional editing and music by Brian Middleton. Research and writing by Pamela Worth and Kana Tagawa. Our executive producer is Rich Hayes, and I'm your host, Colleen MacDonald. If you'd like to connect with us, check us out on Twitter at GotScienceUCS. Thanks, stay safe, get vaccinated, and see you next time.